standing, we're going to read God's word. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Eden says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may rebuild, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. Then, if I am father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? by saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God, that he may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were among you who would shut the doors that might not kindle the fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun till its setting, my name will be great among the nations and in every place Incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Go ahead and have a seat. Father, you are the Lord of hosts. That's said over and over in that passage that was just read. The Lord of hosts, you are the King Almighty, and we are here to worship you. We thank you for this freedom. Holy Spirit, we ask you to be present us, that our, that our actions here would not be ritual, that it wouldn't be just religion, that this would be heartfelt response to you. Open up our hearts and our minds to understand what you have to say, and if there's an action that needs to take place in our life, if we need to do something in response to your word, I pray that we would do that faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome. Um, summer is officially over because school starts tomorrow. Um, so if you are visiting with us, there are these visitor cards in the uh, little box in the seat in front of you or behind you, under you. Grab one of those if you would, fill it out, and leave it in the box as you go. The offering box is on the wall. We would love to get to know you just a little bit. Um, couple things real quick. Next week, we are having, I shared last week that we are considering hiring a guy who is going to be kind of a jack of all trades. Um, uh, he's going to lead worship, um, kind of administrative, pastor, uh, basically everything I'm bad at, he's good at. Um, 
that's not funny. <laughs> but, but really, it's, it's been interesting how God is, I believe God has really set this up. And we're praying that God will close the doors. And I pray you to pray that, I ask you to pray that as well, that God will close the doors if he doesn't want us to bring this, this person on. Um, but Paul and Jennifer are gonna be here next week. He's gonna be leading worship. Uh, so come, hang out afterward and get to know them a little bit. That's gonna be a time where we can ask them questions uh, because we're looking for a door to close, if that makes sense. We, we only want to do what God wants us to do. We don't want to do anything because we think we're smart or creative. Um, and so we want to let God close any door. So be part of that with us, please. Pray on that um, and come next week. The other thing is kids ministry. We have packets, right? If you are helping with the kids, there's packets in the back. Does it have people's name on them? Yes, it has your name on it. Um, so grab that if you would. It has all the information you need. And if you are interested in being involved with kids, um, we can use help. We have, a, we have a unique situation here at Common Ground. We're a young church plant, and we, our ratio of adults to kids is about two to one. <laughs> so what that means is we don't have a large body yet, but yet we want to do the best we can for our kids. Our kids are a big deal. As you, you just saw, our kids are a big, big deal. Um, and so we want to do the best for them, which, which takes people. Um, so it's kind of one of those weird things that as a, even as a church grows, you don't need all that many more volunteers in certain spots. Uh, but even to do it well, you need a certain number. So that means a little bit more sacrifice on, on our side to be involved with that. So I would just encourage you, if you're not involved with anything or uh, you think you may be good with kids, um, talk to Galen, talk to me, talk to Callie, um, and we'll get you hooked up. So Henry Kissinger if you know who he is, many of us probably don't. He was the Secretary of State in the 70s. So before some of us were born or right at the end, uh, the story is told that Henry Kissinger had his biographer who was writing his life story. And, and the biographer wrote it and brought it to Kissinger and, and sent it there. And then they had their meeting and they sat down and Kissinger looked at him and he said, is this the best you can do? And the guy's like, uh, well, I, I, guess, I guess not. So he, he takes it and he leaves and rewrites it and goes over and, and brings it back, sends it back and sets up a meeting and comes and he sits down with Kissinger and, and he says, uh, is this the best you can do? Is this your best work? And the guy goes, uh, well, maybe not. Okay, I'll, uh, you know, and so this happens eight times <laughs> where he brings it and gives it to him and he says, and he asks him the same question every time, is this the best you can do? And every time he goes, until finally, eighth or ninth time, he comes in there and he says, is this your best work? Is this the best you can do? He said, I can't think of one thing to change. I can't think of one punction mark to change one word. This is it. This is the best I can do. He grabbed it and said, okay, I'll read it. <laughs> but I think there's, there's a good point there, the idea of what do we bring to God? What do we bring to God and, accept, and, and expect him to accept is it our best? Or do we bring our leftovers? Do we bring eh, so-so work and expect him to accept that and read that and take that? This is what we're talking about. We're talking about worship this week and next week. And we're going to be in Malachi. Now, Malachi is another short prophet. It's one of the minor prophets. It's the last book in the entire Old Testament. So go to Matthew and then just go left. So go to the very beginning of Matthew and turn over one page. It's not a big book. But we're going to be looking at that, and our, the, what we're going to be talking about is worship. And what comes to mind when you think of worship? Oh, I'm sorry. Anybody need a Bible? There's Bibles in the boxes in front of you or next to you, or if there's not one, Carol will bring you one. 
Also, use your electronic device. We're using the ESV version. Nice. Um, and if you're a note taker, there's notes there, or you can go to our app. So Common Ground Carson, uh, we do have Wi-Fi here. I think the password is on mission. Um, so you can log on to the Wi-Fi on mission and download the app, and there's actually notes there. So you can keep that way um, if you're younger than 50. Um, <laughs> is that the cutoff? No? Older than that, do apps? Younger than that? <laughs> well, we're talking about worship. And what is it that comes to mind when we think of worship? Most of the time in church, it's what we just did with the singing. That that's worship. We're going to go worship. And we think, we, we equate singing with worship. And singing is absolutely part of worship, but it is far from all of worship. Or we think worship is just what we do on Sunday. I worship because I go to a church for an hour, hour and 15 minutes, whatever. I go there and, and therefore I worship. But I think you could go to a church every week for 30 years and maybe never worship. Maybe never worship. You could be great at singing the songs and maybe never worship. And so we want to get an understanding of what worship is by looking at God's word. Now, the context of Malachi, we need to understand the context. The year is, it's the fifth century BC. So if you remember, Israel was a great nation. Uh, King David, King Solomon, they were, they were taking territory, following God. But after Solomon, really during Solomon, things really started to break down. And, and the, the kingdom divided. Then there was Judah and Israel, Judah in the south, Israel in the north. Israel never had a good king. Judah every now and then would have a good godly king and things would go well for him. Well, over time, they were both captured by enemies, sent off into exile, uh, and they were no longer a nation. In the fifth century, the Persians gained control. So the Persians were now the dominant uh, nation in the world. And they decided one of their things is they would send people back. And so the Persians sent Jews back to the area of Judah and Jerusalem, back to their homeland. They sent them back. Um, and so this is called the post-exile Jerusalem or post-exile Judaism is, is after the exile, they went back. So they go back and they rebuild the temple. They rebuild the wall. And there's a lot of drama that happens in that. You can read about in Ezra, Nehemiah, Habakkuk is a, a, a prophet that comes and speaks into that. But eventually they rebuild the temple. It had been destroyed. They rebuild the temple. They reinstitute the sacrifices. They get the priests doing their thing and worship kicks off again. And, and it's going well. I mean, their worship is heartfelt. It's a beautiful thing. But this now here in Malachi is 100 years later. It's 100 years later. They had gotten in the temple. They had begun doing all their good churchy stuff again. But by now they're bored. <laughs> it's 100 years later and it's become just kind of ritual. And so they're doing the things, they're going to the temple, they're sacrificing, they're doing these things, but clearly their heart isn't in it. And so Malachi comes with a message from God and he's speaking to the priests, but he's also speaking to the people themselves. Something you need to know is the economy isn't good in Israel at this time. Things are not going well. They're farming culture, grapes, vineyards, um, things like that. And so they're, they're not producing what they need. And so the tendency when things aren't going well financially, right, is to what? Work harder <laughs> to go get it done. And so that's what they're doing. They're trying to work hard, but they're not turning to the one who has all the power over all the land. So look, and we're going to get an outline real quick. At the very beginning, Mark just read these verses, but Malachi 1, 2, 
Here's how the book starts. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? This is what Malachi does through the book. He asks a question, really God asks a question or poses a question that the people are asking in their minds and then he answers it. And he begins at this, he says, I've loved you. But the people say, how have you loved us? And then he describes how he chose them. He chose them to be his people in much the same way that if you are a follower of Jesus, God chose you. Now there's a lot of theology you can get into with that, who chose who first or whatever, but that's not this sermon. We'll get there someday. But the fact is God chose you. He chose you to be his son or daughter. If you by faith have decided to follow Jesus as Lord, he chose you. You're now a son or daughter of the king and he has loved you. And then the book ends with this. Look at Malachi 4, verses 1 and 2. This is looking to the future. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and the evil doers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. So he begins with his commitment of love for his people and he ends with this future vision of glorification. They will be like a calf going out. You know, picture that, picture a calf. I mean, we live in Nevada, there's calves around. Picture a calf all cooped up, but a nice day goes out in this fresh green grass and maybe you've seen them playing around. We had neighbors who had goats that would just kind of bounce around and play and uh, Lydia put a helmet on once and was headbutting with them. Um, but just imagine a goat or something like that, just playing, frolicking, that's the picture of the future. Because he loves us, there's a future where we will frolic. <laughs> some of us are like, yay. Some of us are like, that sounds lame. But the point is blessing is coming. And that's the book. But the rest of Malachi deals with the middle time, which we are in between now and when we are glorified, when he comes back and sets up his reign and rule. And it's all summed up into one word, for Malachi, worship. Oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> it's all summed up with the word worship. And so let's define worship. If you're a note taker, this is in your notes. Worship is responding with all that I am to all of who he is. That's worship. Worship is responding with all that I am to all that he is. When we get to know God and all that he is, creator, father, master, savior, our response is to give ourselves to him. We read that in the child dedication um, in, the back, in, the, in Deuteronomy where it says, or in Leviticus, where he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That was in the law given to Moses. Jesus reiterated that several times in his ministry. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what does that look like? I want us to read together Romans 12, 1 and 2. And this is, uh, this is going to be kind of our, our two verses for the next two months, really. We're going to look at this quite often. But let's read this together. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual... Where to go? Oh... Worship. What just happened? <laughs> oh, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. What is our spiritual worship in this verse? To give our bodies as a living sacrifice. We're gonna hit that over and over. You see that, that's actually at the coffee bar right there. Stop conforming, start transforming. That's these verses in Kelsey version. Um, But here's what we're gonna start with. We're gonna look at two aspects of worship. Look at verse six with me, please. Malachi 1.6. As a son honors his father and a servant his master, if then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? Now we need to look first because it all begins with getting to know God. All of our worship begins with God. It doesn't begin with you. If you didn't know this, you're not the center of the universe. And neither am I. It's all around God. So who is God? We learn a couple things. He says first that he is a father. He is a father and a master. This is in your notes. As a father, he reveals his affection for us. And as a master, he reveals his authority over us. Listen, this is one of those things that, that we need to understand both and, and hold intention in our life, right? Because we can go too far that, that God loves us. And so he doesn't expect anything of us. He's our buddy. He's our friend. But we don't hold him in reverence, in awe. But then his authority his authority over us as a master, that's where we bring this reverence, this awe that leads to obedience. Also, you need both. But your obedience needs to be from a heart of affection and love. And your heart of affection and love leads to obedience. It comes with both. And we have a tendency to go to one or the other. We're either heartless legalists or we're heart-filled, do whatever you want, um, but not walking, not actually obeying. And so God is both. Second Corinthians 6.18 says this. Now, this is New Testament because I want want you to see how these also apply to us. This was to Israel and Malachi, but these also apply to us. 2 Corinthians 6.18. This is actually quoting the Old Testament and applying it to Christians. It says, and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And then Ephesians 1, 5 and 6. He predestined us for adoption as sons, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So we have been adopted. He is your father and a loving father too. A loving father, not just a, not just a master. But look at 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. We'll just start at 19. It says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now, the context of that, he's talking about sexual immorality. The Corinthians were doing whatever they wanted sexually, but still coming to church and trying to follow God. And he says, no, you can't do those things anymore. Your body belongs to God. Remember Romans 12, one and two, present your body as a living sacrifice. Why? Because you were bought with a price. So yes, you're a son or a daughter of the king, but you're also a servant to a master. Both, you're bought with a price. And so what does a father master deserve according to God himself? Honor and respect. Honor and respect. 
weighty. There's something else that's kind of a key here. And you've heard it over and over. Maybe you've noticed it. Lord of hosts. That phrase is used more time in Malachi than anywhere else in any other book. A higher percentage of verses in Malachi contain Lord of hosts or some version of it. Hosts, that's the heavenly hosts. So we're getting to know God here. Listen, he's father, he's master, but he's also Lord of hosts. And let's add one thing to that. Looking uh, down real quick at verse 14. 14b, we're not even gonna read the first half. God says this, for I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. So he is a father, a master, a great king who has a Lord of hosts. A king would have armies that they could dispatch, right? To guard, to take land, those things. God has an army, but it's a spiritual army. It is angels and there are many of them and they are way more powerful than you or I. Anytime anybody ever sees an angel, they freak out. (laughs) They get afraid. Angels are, are mighty, strong, tough things. And here there's, there's, many of them, and he is the Lord of hosts. This is pointing to his strength, to his strength. And he can send these hosts to the aid of his people. He can, and he does, and he does. In 2 Kings 6, maybe you know the story of Elisha. Elisha, and he has a servant, and they're surrounded by enemies who are gonna kill him, and the servant's freaking out, going, what are we gonna do? And he goes, God, open his eyes so he can see. And he looks, and the hills are covered with chariots of fire. He said, look, greater are those with us than with them. And they couldn't see him, but the angels were there. That was the host of heavenly armies. Jesus, when Jesus was going to the cross, he said that he could appeal to the Father and 12 legions of angels would come to his aid. But he didn't call them. But they would have come if he asked them to. This is our God. This is our God. He is mighty. He is not, he is not just some pocket God. He's not a genie in your purse or in your wallet that pops out whenever you want. He is the Lord of hosts. He created everything with a word. He spoke and he created and he's gonna come back someday. This is our God. This is why worship is a big deal. This is in your notes. God is the Lord of hosts. He is the all-powerful commander of heavenly armies ready to be dispatched to the aid of his people. And God has not changed. God is the same today as he was then. And he always will be. But there's a problem. Look at verse 6b with me. It says, if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts. You, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food on my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? by saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show favor, says the Lord of hosts. The problem was that they were bringing sacrifices. They were doing the ritual. And they looked good. In general, they looked good. But they were bringing animals that were blind, that were lame, that were sick. So instead of like they were supposed to, and it says in Leviticus, let me read you so you get the context. Leviticus 22, 17 through 20. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons and all the people of Israel and say to them, when any one of the house of Israel or of the sojourners in Israel presents a burnt offering as his offering 
for any of their vows or free will offerings that they offer to the Lord. If it is to be accepted for you, it shall be a male without blemish of the bulls or the sheep or the goats. You shall not offer anything that has a blemish for it will not be acceptable for you. So God gave the command, if you're bringing it, and some of these are free will offerings. They weren't required. Some offerings were required. A lot of these weren't. It was how they expressed worship. It was what they did when they came to church. Like this morning, you would have come with a goat or something um, and we'd kill it out back. But that was how they worshiped. Um, But it was supposed to be perfect without blemish, their best. Otherwise, God didn't want it. Otherwise, God didn't want it. So what these people are doing in Malachi is they're coming and they're bringing those. And, but look at this. If somebody brings a blind goat and they're carrying it up there, are those watching? Do you know it's blind? Probably not. Is it sick? You know, does everybody know, hey, that, that thing's not going to last the winter? You might not. It looks good. By all intents and purposes of those looking on, that person may be worshiping well. But God knows and they know. They looked at their flock and they didn't go, which one's my best one? God's worth it. He's getting that one. They went and went, eh, that one's not gonna last the winter. Let's go give that one. That was their attitude. And God doesn't care about the sacrifice. He cares about what the sacrifice represents, the heart. And so they were looking good. And can't we do this too? Can't we look good? Can't we come in and even sing songs and do this and look good, but in our hearts, it's just a show? There's things that we do to be seen. And I know I've, I've been in the church my whole life. I've done it too. <laughs> Look good on Sunday, but really my heart's not there. My heart was somewhere else. But that's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. And he says that they are despising him. They're giving him their junk, their leftovers. What, it, what this means when it, it talks about being despised, and we're gonna talk about this in a minute, but he's speaking to the priests here. So the priests are accepting these. The priests are getting to see the animals up close and they're, they're seeing that they're not all good, but they're taking them anyway. So the religious leaders are allowing this to happen. But the attitude they have is kind of a whatever. It's a whatever attitude toward God who is father and master. And eh, whatever. Yeah, you bring something that's junk. I know it's junk, whatever. It's not worth it. Lazy. And again, I think we can get this way in worship too. We just get used to it. Whatever. It's Sunday. We'll go to church. Or we won't. <laughs> whatever. We'll get up in the morning. I slept in. I should read my Bible. Eh, whatever. You know, it, it, and then it, it gets easier as time goes on to be whatever about God. But God, being the great king, expects our best. I want to make a I want to make a good point here because it says here where he's talking about the priests and a lot of chapter one and two, he's rebuking the priests because the priests were the ones responsible for bringing the sacrifices to God. They were kind of the the intermediaries between God and his people. Who are the priests now? You can answer it if you know. (laughs) Somebody somebody back there is doing this. (laughs) You are the priests. So I think there is a, a direct leap, but it's not, it's a small step from speaking to these priests to speaking to us. This is the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi. The next book shows Jesus coming, dying, rising from the dead, and then people being saved and becoming priests. Don't believe me? Second Peter 2.9. Peter says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you might proclaim the excellencies of him 
who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You, if you are a Christian, meaning you've accepted Jesus as Lord, you're a priest. This is speaking to you. Look at verse 10. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. This is what he said back in Leviticus. If you bring those, I won't, I won't accept them. I won't take them. I'm worth the best. I expect the best. What about us? Because I see in American Christianity a lot of religion, but not a lot of heart devotion to Jesus. Not a lot of heart devotion to God for who he is, not for what he can do for me. What he did for me is amazing. But can I honor him just for who he is? The God, the creator, the king, the father, the master. So here's the second aspect of worship. The first is that we respond, or uh, sorry. The second is that we respond to God with all that we are. We respond, that's active. We respond to all of God is with all that we are. It's active. The greatest commandment, we already read it, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Give God your best. That's what he expects from us. And that's what he'll accept from us, our best, not our leftovers. Not our leftovers. So here's, here's life. Life in a box, life in three boxes. And if you can't see it, this says mine. So here's what's, here's what's mine. We apply this to us. Here's what's mine. I have, I have the day. There's 24 hours in the day, or depending on how many you sleep. Um, we have our day. We have our weeks and months and years. There's only two years in this one. But this is our life. We have our skills, our abilities, even our hobbies. That's a piano. I got that from the Barbie house. But we have our skills, don't we? We have certain propensities, things we're good at. Piano. Some of us are athletes. Whoa. I played softball this week for the first time. People laughed at me. It was fun. So we have the things that we're good at. We have our time. But then we have our stuff, too. Our house. Where we live. Whether it's rented. Whether we own it. We have our house. We have our cars. Our trucks. And we like them. Our motorcycles, our stuff. We have our stuff. We have our money. It's a lot of 20s right there. <laughs> but all of this is mine, right? And that's how we look at this. We look at this as mine. Now, under the Jewish religion, what they did was they would give a tithe. They would give their 10%. They would have other free will, but they would give something. So it's like, okay, um, God's gonna get some of this um, and some of this. And so that comes over here. Uh, and here's what's God's, but the rest, the rest is still mine, but I'll give God a little bit. And unfortunately, we kind of do this too. We, uh, we'll be over here and, okay, the church, the Sunday school, they need some stuff. Let's find all the toys we don't use anymore. And eh, that's broken. Whatever, give it to the church. <laughs> and, and the church gets our leftovers, our junk, um, our, our leftover time even. But the difference between Old Testament and really what we have New Testament under this new covenant, what does God want? Here's what he wants. This, this, 
He, want, he even wants this and this, 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 this. He wants all of it. That's the point. So under our, our New Testament, under our new covenant, it's very clear, everything is God's. And if we have this attitude, we recognize God as king, as master, as Lord of all, then we'll give him everything, not just an hour on Sunday, all day, every day. We'll give it all to him to use as he sees fit. Now, and we're going to get into this some next week. Now, some of this we do then give to God, whether it's through the church or to missionaries or, or to, to the poor, but we do then give some to God. But the attitude is that it's all his anyway. It's all his anyway that he can use. And so he gets our best. Now think about this. I, I tried to find something for work, but I couldn't really, well, I had a hammer. I forgot it. Um, but how do we give God our best? How do we worship by giving him our best all the time? If you're a student, even the way you study, that can be worship. Do you know that? That can be worship. The way that you study, the way that you write. If you're a worker, how do you work? How do you relate to your boss or even those under you? That can be worship. Are you giving your best to God? I've shared this before, but when I was doing stonework, uh, I remember there were several times I'd lay stone and I'd walk away and go, uh, it's not my best, it's, uh, nobody will notice. And, I, and I'd go back and I remember tearing off a whole section because I just, it was, it was junk. And so I tore it off, even though it was in a spot where there was gonna be a tree, nobody would see it, but I knew for me, my, my work was worship. And I wanted to do my best. That was something I, I had the ability to do and I needed to give that my best. What is your best? And what is your best that you're maybe withholding from God? Worship means have our best. And it's in response to him because what has he not given us? He's given us himself. He's given us everything. And so we give him everything back. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Whatever you do. I remember when I was 18 or 19 working on a construction site and I had that taped in my lunchbox because I wanted the people I worked with to go, why does he work so hard? <laughs> because even my digging with a shovel was worship, was worship. It all comes down to stewardship. And we can really summarize it, and we'll talk more about this next week. Time, talent, treasure. Time, talent, treasure. Does God get your best? Now, I believe it's important if I'm going to preach on something that I let him preach it to me first. And so the unfortunate thing for me is as I studied this, I'd go, okay, where am I not giving God my best? And there were several things that came to mind. For one, my hours this summer, I haven't been giving him my best hours all the time. My best hours are in the morning. And so for me, my honest response here is, I need to, I need to start getting up a little bit earlier. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that, that's what God showed me of your best, your mind works best in the morning. Give me that time. Here's the other thing that he came, brought to my mind is my health. I did play softball this week and it was hard, you know, and I played tag with the kids in the grass and it was hard. I'm not in good shape. <laughs> You know, I, I'm not healthy. And when I'm not healthy, I sleep too much. My mind doesn't work. I'm not as productive. And God doesn't get my best. And so that's the other thing that he has shown me in the past couple of weeks as I've studied this is you got you to do something about your health because you're a steward of this. 
And we all have different ways that, you know, different things we might respond, but those are the two that God really showed me where I need to kind of step up my game a little bit and give my best. The other one is even here, worship. So we have the responsibility to try and lead you into worship, but yet worship is participatory. Worship isn't a spectator sport. And so here's something where, where he's shown me and I'm, I'm working on it. But how can we worship together? That's why we're gonna read scriptures out loud sometimes. We're gonna do things to respond because worship is active. It's not a spectator sport. And hopefully even on Sundays when we come to worship, it won't always be just a spectator sport. But we respond with our voice, with our actions. Now we are gonna, we're gonna close in worship and we're gonna have a chance um, to come over here and respond. Um, there's markers down there. This is a way we can, we can actively worship. And on the left of this, we're gonna write a praise. You know, pr- whatever comes to mind, what do you love about God? We're gonna write the praise there. And then what is my best? What is your best that you need to give to God on the right side, sacrifice? You may already be giving it. Great, write it up there. If nothing is really coming to mind, just write your name. Just write your name going, God, you have me. You have me, but this is a way we can interact and this is kind of a a sacrifice to God. This is something, we're not doing this for each other. This is to God to give to him. But I wanna read to you Psalm 51, 16 and 17 because the danger in something like this is that we can start looking and go, okay, I need to do more. I need to be better. And then we just start doing the sacrifices without the heart. But here's what David writes in Psalm 51. He says, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Here's the point. It begins with who God is. Our response is to honor and respect him, to love him, to give him praise from our heart. He wants your heart above all else. But guess what? It will play out in what you sacrifice, time, talent, treasure. It will play out. When I do premarital counseling, any counseling, but primarily premarital counseling, we get into this stuff. What do you do with your time, talent, treasure? Because they say, yeah, we love Jesus. We follow Jesus. Okay, show me your, your, your checkbook. Uh, you know, how much do you actually give? Uh, we don't want to talk about that. Okay, you say you love Jesus, but you're not doing it. Where are you attending right now? Where are you guys going to church? Well, we don't really want to go. (laughs) Okay, Uh, you know, what are you giving to God at all? Well, we don't have to. We're Christians. He gives us everything. And so there's a conversation of, okay, no, true religion. James writes this. True religion is that you visit orphans and widows in their distress. True religion, true relationship with God results in our actions. And so let's, Let's close in song. We're gonna close with three more songs. We're gonna worship, but really worship. And take this time to think about yourself. Do, think about your own heart. Does, where, where does your heart still belong to you? Where is God not getting your best? I can think of some for sure, and there's more. Think of where God needs to give your best. And here's one of the things too. Sometimes we try and do everything at once, right? Find just one that you'll work on. Just one, just one. And while we're, while we're worshiping in these songs, take time, walk over here, grab the markers and write a praise to God. Because what did David write? He wants our praise and our contrite heart above 
any stuff that we can give. So let's do that. Let's stand up, let's worship, um, and then let's, let's actually engage and write down a specific sacrifice that you are going to give to God.